You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. God is going to show up for us, and God is going to engage with us in these stories if we're open to them. And God's going to move us to a different place than where we are right now. By sharing our stories, we enable one another and encourage one another and empower one another to have greater faith, you know. Um, and uh, I, I think there's real great hope in, in that, that these stories still continue today. Yeah, so we all have these great stories. Hey, he appeared to me also. Here's my story. Here's what happened. Take it or not, but that's what happened. There are a lot of different people that Jesus shows himself to. And it was an amazing thing, time and time and time again, how Jesus showed up. I think he's, he's looking forward to doing that today. I'm Jason Liner, the executive pastor here. It's a, it's a joy to be with you. Great day outside, isn't it? Sunshine, yeah. It's uh, almost an invitation. Makes me kind of want to move out there instead of being here. But uh, we're, we're here for a little bit. This is a, a weekend of great celebration, isn't it? We've had, um, had lots of things to celebrate this week. Lots of people in our community have been graduating, whether it's from university or high school, they've been graduating, taking that walk of commencement. It's also Mother's Day and so there's lots of people to celebrate, lots of, um, there's lots of joy. How many of you this last week or today threw an Ascension Day party? <clears throat> I don't see any hands. How many of you knew what day Ascension Day was on? There are a few. I'd shout it out if you know the day. There you go. <laughs> Thursday. No, it is. Yeah, last Thursday was Ascension Day. And somebody said, what is it? Yes. We're going to talk about Ascension Day, a day in which, though we live here and we don't celebrate Ascension Day, it's not, on, it's not on our calendar. I don't think anybody, if you go back to your calendar, will probably find Ascension Day on your calendar. But if you're somebody who pays attention to the global trading markets, uh, you may have come across Ascension Day because in some, in some places of the world, the markets, the financial markets were closed on Thursday. Last year, Pastor Jim was in Spain during Ascension and he said that for four days, the, Spain, the, the Spanish people just threw a party. He was over there. Uh, he was taking a spiritual journey, a spiritual pilgrim on the, on the Camino. And he said they celebrated Ascension for four days straight. Well, the Ascension is the, the moment, that time, when Jesus returns to the Father. Luke gives us just a brief hint about it at the end, tail end of the Gospel of Luke. And then in the first part of Acts 1... He leads us into this picture, this time when Jesus has a conversation with his disciples at the end, and then he returns to the Father. So let's take a look. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn there, if you've got your Bibles on a phone, want to take it out, we're going to read beginning in Acts 1, I think. There we go, thanks. Luke begins like this. Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote to you concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven 
Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up into a cloud, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, and as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Luke um, tells us about Jesus' return to the Father. He tells us on the first place how Jesus got here, right? In the opening pages of Luke and about Jesus' birth. And now he tells us how he returns to heaven, returns to the place of the Father. There are a number of things I think Luke wants to tell us in real staccato form in, the, in these opening uh, pages. One of the things he wants to say to us is that Jesus was really somebody who was alive, somebody that people saw. One of the first things Luke tells us is that Jesus was around for 40 days after the resurrection. And the purpose that he was around was so that people could talk with him, so that they could interact with him, so that they could have lunch with him or breakfast with him and see him eat. All those things that make you think you're alive, were things that, that they saw Jesus do, they experienced with Jesus. And Luke just says, those 40 days, one of the things that happened was the sense Jesus is, he's resurrected from the dead. One of the other things Luke tells us that Jesus does in that 40-day period of time is he talks about the kingdom of God. <coughs> Early in Jesus' ministry, often throughout Jesus' ministry, some of the things that he kept coming back to, that he kept pointing people to, were aspects of what God's kingdom was like. And oftentimes, God's kingdom uh, looked a whole lot different than the world and the kingdoms in which they operated in. So Luke tells us here in the last part of these 40 days, Jesus returns to the opening part of his, of his work, of his ministry, by talking about, by showing what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Have you ever been at a place in your life where you wonder, I wonder what Jesus would have me to, would say to me right now if he could say something to me? What would Jesus speak into my life right now? It's interesting to me that Jesus opens his ministry and, and ends his physical ministry here on earth by talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Maybe he would say to us, go back and take a look at those early pages of, of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where with great clarity and, and great compassion, Jesus talks about what the kingdom looks like and how we can be a part of it. He talks about the kingdom of God. The other thing that Luke points us to is, is this reality that Jesus kept casting the mission of God for the globe. Uh, throughout, <coughs> pardon me, throughout the, his ministry, the disciples kind of had this idea that Jesus was focused in on uh, making sure that 
that there was a new king that would sit on the throne in, in Israel. And Jesus kept talking about how the globe mattered. The people of the world mattered, mattered to God. Even in the text, Luke says, after Jesus had talked about the kingdom with them, the disciples say, so is now the time. Is this the time that we're going to restore the, the kingdom of Israel? Last summer, I had the privilege of being in Jerusalem about 10 days after uh, President Trump had visited Israel. And I found, uh, uh, well, and uh, another friend of mine took the picture, but we found some interesting sites within Jerusalem itself. Can you throw that picture up? I, I never expected to find it there. It said, Trump, make Israel great. We're walking down the city streets in Jerusalem, and we saw this sign. Now, I don't know what you think of all that. I'm not going to ask you what you think of all that. But I am going to say to you that there is still a motive, a question, like what the disciples had, like, are you going to restore Israel now, Jesus? And Jesus said, guess what, folks? He said, God doesn't love just Israel alone, but God loves the entire world. And so you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, and you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth because everybody matters to God. God doesn't want to make just one place great. He wants to make the entire cosmos great. And so the whole, the whole universe matters to God's work of redemption, the whole universe beyond. Something else Jesus kept pointing back to was that or Luke keeps pointing back to, was that Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. He lived and he worked in the power. And he, and he kept saying to his disciples, you know what? There is a, there's something you need, something you don't have yet, but something that is coming. So until you receive it, stay in this city of Jerusalem. They didn't know that it was going to be in 10 days that the, that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and on all flesh, but it would be. But Jesus simply said, if there's a next step for you to take, it's to stay. Until you receive something that's beyond your own strength, beyond your own capacity, beyond your own power, stay in the city until the promise of the Father is poured out. And lastly, what I'd like to point out to you is that Jesus went away in a cloud. Now, some renditions, some translations say that Jesus went up into the clouds after watching Greece. Uh, I don't know if you've watched Greece recently, but, you know, there's some thought that, does Jesus get, like, hooked onto one of those crazy cars and he just kind of slithers his way up into the cloud like they, Danny and Sandy do in Greece? You know, any of you remember the end? <clears throat> I don't think that's the picture Luke is painting for us. But a cloud in the Old Testament, a cloud in the Old Testament is, is representative of God's power, of God's presence. And so when Moses goes up on a mountain, a cloud, the cloud of God comes down and surrounds him. And when Moses is in that place, he gets to talk with God face to face. And, oh, there's another cloud. On the, on the cloud where, of uh, transfiguration, when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up, and the Father speaks into their midst, there's a cloud that surrounds them. And when the Israelite people are moving through the wilderness, the cloud of God comes down and it leads them. The cloud, if you will, that Jesus walks into, that Jesus goes into, is the very essence of, of God's presence. And he goes into the place of, of God and he's with the Father 
face to face. So Jesus doesn't necessarily go up. And Luke says the disciples are just kind of like staring up into the sky. Where did you go? He's like, and the angels come and say, he's with the Father face to face. He's asked you to return to Jerusalem. Well, later, later New Testament writers will take a look at this account and they begin to reflect on it. And they begin to speak into the life of the church, into our life, about the significance of Jesus returning to the Father. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul will say, Set your eyes on Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He'll, he'll point us to that place as a place to look to, as a place to draw strength from. And he is, and he and a number of other New Testament writers begin to, to go back into the Psalms, in, into Psalm 110, which becomes, Psalm 110.1 becomes the number one quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. And what they do there, by pointing back to that psalm, they want us to draw something to the, to the reality that they see when we look into the heavens, as Paul says. When we look at Christ, you see at the right hand of God. Sarah, can you put that? Thanks. The psalmist says this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. As the New Testament writers began to think about what was happening, as they began to think about Christ in the, in the presence of the Father, seated in the heavenlies on a throne, they, they were drawn back to this text. And in this text, they saw the reality that Christ is, is in a place of honor. He's in a place of ruling and a, and a place of authority when he's sitting next to God. In fact, they viewed it very much like the Israelites would have viewed this text because this text kind of describes like a new king coming to the throne and God is the one who shows the king the place to the throne. They viewed Jesus' ascension as going back and taking up the throne in heaven but not just in heaven, but also in the earth. For Peter talks about it like this in his letter in 1 Peter. He said, Now Christ has gone into heaven, and he's seated in the place of honor next to God with all the angels and authorities and powers, and all the powers except his authority. There's an interesting... Um, There's an interesting phrase that shows up throughout the New Testament where Peter, and Peter alludes to it here, where he talks about how Christ is seated in the heavenlies. And I almost thought about how, how do any of you have a favorite chair? Like, do you have a favorite chair in your life where you go to when your work is done for the day or, or like you're just done? Um, or maybe you've completed something and you just want to sit back and relax and enjoy what you've done. And you go to this favorite place. Peter is saying that, that not only has he gone, has Jesus gone up into the heavenlies and is he crowned with power and authority, but there's something about what Jesus has done on earth that it's done in heaven too. And there's like this proclamation, this reality that of, of who Jesus is. He is a victor. He has left the place of the heavenlies. He's come to earth. He's walked this place. And he has fought a great battle. And the battle that Jesus fought is a battle against sin. And it's a battle against death. 
and he has slain the serpents, if you will. And he's gone back into the heavenlies, and, and the Father has said, well done. Your work is done, and it is complete, and you get to sit in your favorite chair, that chair next to me, at the right hand of the Father. He sits, and he rules, and he has authority. And the New Testament writers, in good days and bad days, they keep going back to this, this sense that Jesus rules in heaven, and we sometimes may know it or not know it, but Jesus rules in the earth as well. There was a Dutch theologian, and he was a prime minister and a number of other things. His, his name was uh, Abraham Kuyper. He said, you know, when Jesus went into the heavenly realm when he ascended, not only did he rule in that place, but with a loud, with a loud voice, Kuyper said, he announced over all of the earth and over all things. He says, Kuyper just says, everything is mine. Sarah, you want to put that quote up? You're... Stay with me, Sarah. Stay with me. He's, Kuiper said this. He said, there's not a square inch in which the whole dominion of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Think about that for a moment. What do you cry mine over? What do you say is yours? What do you make a claim on? Think that Jesus cries mine over everything in earth and in heaven. And so, this gives us a place, and it, and it brings us really to a place where we ought to throw a party. Because the reality is that, that Jesus has won a great victory, the victory that none of us really can win, but Jesus has won a victory over sin, over death, and, and we give him praise and glory and honor. And we did that in some of the songs we sang. We sang about how he's king. But it also says something to us who are living here. It says, look, and, and the writers are really clear on this. Look, the, the victory that Jesus has isn't a victory just to him alone. In his power, his kingliness, his authority doesn't just rest with him. But Paul says in Colossians, look to him. Because what he has, you can have. You can have the power of Christ. You can have the authority of Christ in your own life. In the world in which you live in. Now each and every one of us, we can look around and we can know, you know what, there are times when we suspect that there are enemies. And in fact, one of the things that the, the psalmist says is that you get to sit on your throne until, and watch as all the enemies are rolled up like a footstool underneath of you. That doesn't mean that the, all of the enemies are suddenly conquered. In fact, I think there's a phrase, I don't know if it's C.S. Lewis or Tolkien or somebody else, it says, there's still a bit of a rebellion on the, on the planet Earth and in the heavenlies. There's still a bit of a rebellion. In fact, the bit of the rebellion resides within us, right? Some of the rebellion resides within us. Because we all have enemies, and Christ still has enemies, although he's, he's been victorious. We have enemies like this. Sometimes we face satanic forces. And some of those forces of are forces of evil, and they can be literal, they can be figurative. Some of our enemies are like spiritual strongholds or prideful hearts. Some of our enemies include our infirmities and weaknesses. And some are our personal, unique enemies, where we may have a foe, a contestant, that's a real person in our life that just comes against us. 
We don't know why. Have you ever had somebody make it their mission to make your life miserable? Sometimes it happens. Not often, but sometimes it does. And what do we do in those places? The writers tell us, look to Jesus, who's been the conqueror, the victor. Draw on his strength. Um, this last, last few days, I've read a book by Steve Siemens. And Siemens talks about, the title of the book is The Unseen Real. And he talks about the significance of the ascension. And there's lots of things that Siemens points to about the significance of the ascension and, and how it can apply to us. But one of the things he says is that when we look to Christ, we find out, and he says to us, you can rule in the place where you live. You can rule in the midst of enemies. You can rule in the places where there are really hard times. And he says you can rule like Jesus does. You can rule both in strength and you can rule in weakness. Thinking, think about ruling in strength. Think about the person Dave in the Old Testament when he goes up against Goliath. How does, how does this young person, small in stature person like David, rule against mighty Goliath? He says, I rule because I'm looking into the heavenlies and I see God. And I know who God is and what God is up to. I know the power of God. Think of Queen Esther when she has to go into the, into the courts and speak to the king. And her, her heart wants to faint within her. Where is their strength? Their strength as she looks into the face of God and sees the strength and power of God. I was thinking about, too, this, this airline pilot, Tammy Jo Schultz. How many of you have followed her story? This is her picture of when she flew in the U.S. Air Force. And now she flies for Southwest. She was piloting that plane a couple weeks ago when the engine failed and blew all apart and blew the window out. Did you follow that story? And what does Tammy Schultz do who follows Jesus and knows the power and strength of Jesus? What does she do? She keeps things calm in the, in the cockpit. She said it was hard to hear because there was so much noise, but she said we just signed back and forth. And she guided that plane to a landing. Where does she get strength like that in the moment like that? All her life, Tammy Schultz has been somebody, a woman who's been looking into the heavenlies, into the face of Christ. And in the moment where strength is needed, strength is there. So strength comes to us as we look into the heavenlies. And there are times when Christ says, you need to stand up. You need to have courage. You need to, to rule in my strength and in my power in this moment. Friends, do you have any places where you need to stand up? Where you need to express courage? Where you need to take a look into the, into the heavenlies and you need to see Jesus sitting on his throne and he just asks you to stand up and speak a word for him? Don't be afraid. Now, in this day and age, this is not the time to be afraid. This is time to stand with the courage and the strength and the audacity of Jesus. But you know, Jesus went to the cross too. And sometimes the enemies that we face in this world are, so, are larger than, than we can ever conquer on our own. And there are times when it looks like we just have to live in weakness. Over the course of history, written in the pages of Scripture, Paul says, you know what? God loves to display his strength <clears throat> through our own sense of weakness. And so whether we're strong or we're weak, we don't really have to be afraid. We're invited to look 
into the glory of Christ. In this place right here, there are times when the chairs aren't here, but there's tables that are set up. And there will be people from Schweitzer, most of them in their 80s and 90s, who come into this room and they'll repackage food that's been donated to the food pantry. Sometimes we get food in bulk and then they take it and they, they, they package it down into little packages. And the folks who come in here <clears throat> in their 80s and 90s, many of them have lost the strength of their youth, right? Or the strength of their middle age. And yet they've been people who across their life they've been looking into the face of Christ. And strength, the strength that they've known is gone. Except the strength of their heart, the strength of their spirit. Outwardly they're weak, but inside they're saints. And they say, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, I'll do. And so one of the things that they can do is they can come in here and they can help repackage food that will then be given out to people who, who walk into this building looking for help looking for some answers in their life. You don't have to be 80 or 90 to find yourself weak in your own spirit. Sometimes it's hard to look through the clouds and see the power of Christ and to have courage on your own. But look into the heavenlies, Paul says. And if you look when you're strong, when you look when you're weak, you'll find that Christ comes alongside of you. And he gives you strength and power to live. So last week I had somebody pull into my driveway and they drove all the way up and <clears throat> they got out of their car, somebody I never recognized, and they said, how do you think about the future? Now, I'd been thinking about this text and thinking about our time together for some time. They said, how do you think about the future? I said, friend, I think the future is going to be okay because Christ has conquered our enemies. He sits on a throne. He invites us to take a good look, to have courage, to have hope, to have joy. And sometimes it's in that moment when we're invited into worship, we're invited into worship and we sing songs about how he's king, that we're reminded that he's king. When we're in this place, we're reminded he's king. Then we can look in that, into, into his face. Now are we reminded he's king when we look into the heavenlies, but when we look at this bread, and when it's broken, can remind us of when Christ went to the cross. And at the same time, this bread reminds us that there's a promise to us. For he said, I am the bread of life. And when you eat this bread, you eat and you partake of me. And he took the cup and he blessed it. And he made a promise that this is a cup of a new covenant where his life is given and shared with us 
It's strengthening us today and for the future. Kind Father, as we've gathered in this place today, you know our hearts. You know where we've been strong and where we've been weak. You know where we've been looking. And you know how you want to draw us to look into the face of Christ, to see him, abide with him, and experience his life where we live today. Thank you for drawing us to this place. Thank you for the work of Christ. Thank you for these elements of bread and cup, which not only remind us, but feed us with the grace and the power and the love and the authority and the kingliness of Jesus. Pour out your Holy Spirit, we pray, upon us that we may not only be redeemed, but we may express the incredible, incredible mystery and power of God in this day, in this place. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the servers to come forward and take their places with the bread and the cup. We have both. We've got bread and we have gluten-free elements here too. After the servers are in place, you're welcome to come and to partake of the sacrament. You're also welcome to come and Pray by using the prayer wall or going to the prayer room. Or maybe Jesus has given you victory in some form or fashion and you'd like to put that on those windows over there. You're welcome. You're welcome to come and sing and enter into worship. Let's rejoice. <laughs>